When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Skate Podcast on WEEI.com and the Radio.com app. Bobby Orr, behind the net, the Sanderson, the Bobby Orr! For the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Talking Bruins and NHL. Sure, old-time hockey. Like it is sure. With writer and producer Brian DeFelice. Brian DeFelice is an emerging talent. Bridget Prude. Yeah, he's a little bit on the hot seat. Burn him! And WEEI.com Bruins writer Scott McLaughlin. Oh, great stuff. Lace him up for some bees talk right now. I'm looking at stop. It's the Skate Pod on WEEI. to episode 50 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice, and for the first time in what feels like a year, guys, uh, we are all together in person. Of course, I'm speaking to Scott McLaughlin and Bridget Prue. Um, is there anything important worth talking about this week, or is this just a waste of time? <laughs> well, we can definitely break down all the Providence Bruins who played in the final regular season game. I think that's the big story of the week, so... Yeah, Brian has some thoughts about that, I know. <laughs> yeah, Prov- Providence played great last night. A lot of spunk, a lot of snarl. Uh, hey, they for... almost beat the Capitals. They did, they did. Um, but all joking aside, no, the reason we uh, we do gather today, <laughs> now that I saw the priest, <laughs> <laughs> we gather here we today. We gather here today to marry, <laughs> you're like starting a wedding. Uh, or, or, or a Prince song we, to yeah, get no. this thing called life. Oh, Christ. Uh, no, we gather here today to commence the uh, first round of the playoffs between the Bruins and Capitals. Uh, what are your preliminary thoughts, guys? Oh, can I start just go to, ahead. Just to kind of go back to yesterday's game? Why, just why, play your 44-year-old defenseman? Why not rest Ovechkin? Why not rest Backstrom? Why are you playing pretty much your entire full lineup besides Oshie and Carlson. I think they wanted to see where they were at because uh, but well, against, Ch- Char, I don't know. Chara, I definitely would have rested. But Ovechkin had been banged up, so I think they wanted to get him some game action before game one. And they had not played the night before like the Bruins did. Their last game was Saturday. So I think they didn't want guys going a full week with no full speed action. So I kind of get it, but then you get into the game and like they had several guys get banged up, including Chara, Lars Eller. They all they all ended up returning. They all finished the game. Yeah, Eller hurt but, his hand. Chara yeah. took a really nasty hit along the boards. I uh, from Steen, I believe. Yeah. It, you just watch it. It was kind of like when Pasternak got uh, speared in the ribs. It was like, okay, did we really need to play them this game? Because this is this could be the season when when you have somebody like that go down. Yeah, it's it's the old rest versus rust, and I think Peter Laviolette was probably concerned about rust if his team went Saturday to Saturday without playing a competitive game. So I think I think Oscar Steen might be uh, the second best player in the league now, right behind Nick Ritchie. So I like what I saw out of him uh, about Chara. Uh, it's kind of like the Tin Man in the Wizard of Oz. He he's better off like reoiling his joints before the playoffs than than sitting out. I think he would rather play as much as he can. Um, you know, to get a, to get himself geared up for the postseason. So, um, 
Yeah, why, 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 why not give it a go if you're Chara? Although he he did almost uh, suffer a pretty bad injury there, but fortunately for him, he's good to go, and we get to watch him in a seven game series against the Bruins, which is honestly, if you ask me, we all knew this was going to happen at some point, right? Yeah, it, it was it was inevitable. Like as soon as you saw that he was signing with the Capitals, it's like, well, the Capitals are a playoff team this year, and the Bruins are a playoff team this year, and they're in the same division, so. Yeah, this is going to happen. Like The only question was whether it was going to be first or second round. So we get in the first round. And, you know, it. I think if you're a Bruins fan, like it felt like this is the series you, you were going to have to go through. Like The Capitals are the ones who loom, you know, both because of the char factor and because they're so physical and you have so much bad blood with them. Like, they're kind of... They've become your big rival in this division this year, I think, certainly above any others. And... Now it's going to, you know, we'll get into our predictions. I think most people are expecting a long series. I'm not sure that I agree, uh, but there's going to be bad blood. It's going to be physical. There's going to be a lot of hitting. You know, we know everything with Tom Wilson. We know what kind of player he is. We know what he's capable of. He's been suspended seven games this season for hitting Brandon Carlo on the head, put Carlo in the hospital overnight, knocked him out for a month. Uh you know, sometimes you, you'll hear things like, uh, you know, guys clean up in the playoffs. They they won't push it. Well, guess what? Tom Wilson's been suspended in the playoffs He's before. He's been suspended so. in preseason. Like, yeah. if you can't turn it off in freaking preseason, then what what are we doing? Like, he doesn't have an off switch for that. Right. And I think playoffs could can even sometimes bring it out more because he's going 100%. He's And you he, know he's going to be – he's going to have people coming after him. Yeah. Like, so say Trent Frederick's in the lineup. Frederick finds him on every shift that they're out there together. Well, F- Frederick got him into a ten-minute misconduct Tuesday night in the right, re- the meaningless regular season finale. Frederick was able to kind of goad him into that, which is a trade-off the Bruins will take every single time. Yeah, exactly. Probably the probably the second most bizarre thing to happen on the, Ness- the Nesson broadcast during the game the other night was the fact that well, the first thing was was. Easily, Jack Edwards just pulling out a gallon of milk in the pregame. I made my mom come upstairs and, and I go, "Mom, you." You just tell me how painful you think this is. I mean, honest to God, it's like Nesson does like the opening, you know, montage for the, for the game, and then first thing it's like Jack's like, "Well, Brick, I was at the Shaw's <laughs> Star Market down at the Causeway Street today, and I got this gallon of milk." And, then and it's he just taped, like, he taped "What the are you lineup, talking about?" And he taped the lineup that wasn't playing on the back of it. Ugh. And the the best thing you can do, I rewound it and watched it again, like I said, to show my mom. And the best thing you do is watch Brick's face. Oh my God, <laughs> Brick, Brick! Brick always makes I'm... the uh, the funniest expressions when Jack has those opening monologues. It's insane. But and even when you can't see them too, sometimes Jack will say something and Brick well, just won't. Well, well, here, here's what Brick will do: he'll he'll, just he'll, go he'll he'll lower his head, he'll he'll bite his lower lip, and like he'll like have his hands folded and he's just like. like <laughs> he'll nod his head back and forth, and he'll say, "Yeah, Jack, I think that's what you kind of want to see tonight." But anyway. Um, the, the 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 second most bizarre thing was how Frederick's getting into it with Tom Wilson and, and Zdeno Chara after a whistle, and then Nesson just got to like the 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 thirty second rewind or like Swayman's like first period saves. It's like what are you doing? Like have have a feel for the game. Now to be fair, they're in Watertown, so they can't really see everything that's going on live. Yeah, but... and they have to take the uh, the opposing team's video feed, which has been oh. another funny Jack Edwards war all season. Last choose. <laughs> We're gonna get into the series, but just to Tuesday night, like he he started complaining about a camera angle that 
I think their TV had gone to, their monitor had gone to, but the actual TV broadcast had not switched to. So he's complaining about the angle of the camera and like viewers at home are still getting the normal view. And it's just like, what is happening? <laughs> I just, I just, I love the homerism from Jack. Like if over the years, if Marsha never like did something, <laughs> Marsha, I mean, uh, Jack Edwards would be like, and that's why Brad Marshand or Marshand is loved in Boston. Or is it Marshand? <laughs> Who knows, Brick? And then, like, you know, when, when Komarov buttheads Pasternak, he's like, Whoa! <laughs> Leo Komarov is trying to change the trajectory of the brute. It's like, shut up, Jack. <laughs> but that's why we love him. Anyway, as far as the opening series, where do you guys want to start? Do you want to go around and give our predictions first and then kind of dive in or what? Yeah, sure. Let's do okay. do predictions and we'll get into why we think that. All right, Bridget, ladies first. Okay, so I think, so at first I thought that maybe the Tuca question that we had for our pre-series um, article coming up um, could have come out on Friday. I thought that the hardest question originally was the Tuca question. How, how are we going to feel about Tuca after um, this series and Brian and I came up with different answers, but um, I, I didn't. Hard, I, 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 I misread that question. I thought I thought the questions um, said what will people be saying about Tuga, not what will I be saying. So maybe I'll have to adjust. Well, that, yeah, but. yeah, yeah. No. Um, so, but this is the second hardest uh, question: is just what's the outcome going to be? How many games is it going to go to? And I, it's particularly hard to judge with the Capitals and the Bruins because they've had such an inconsistent season. So there's been a, a blowout win for the Capitals. Um, they won on April 11th, 8-1. to one. And then the Bruins have a 6-3 win over them. And then some of their other games were a lot closer. Boston also had a 4-2 win. So they had some close games, and then they had some not-so-close games. Yeah. And that, that, that 8-1 game was... That, the Bruins were like... A slightly more complete team for that than they were Tuesday night with their full AHL lineup. Like that's true. Th- that was one of the games where they had like a bajillion injuries and were resting guys. I think it was a back to back. Yeah, and so that just makes it hard to kind of know what you're really going to get. Um, and I was I was going through some notes from the last time that the Bruins played the Capitals in the postseason was actually 2012, which doesn't I mean it doesn't feel like it was that long ago, but it was. Yeah. Um, it was that miserable. It, the Bruins were the one seed, the President's Trophy winners, and and they got knocked out yeah. in Game Seven by an overtime goal by Joel Ward. Um, and that was actually so I looked I looked it up. That was the first postseason series in NHL history to have all seven games decided by one goal. And in the in this year, the Bruins in the Capital Series is tied for four and zero. So, on paper, they are they're so, so closely matched um, that it it could easily end up being a seven game series. I know Brian thinks it could be a don't don't spoil it. Don't so, spoil okay. it. All right, a three game um, sweep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, sweep a three. Did you say a three game sweep? <laughs> okay, Brian, go back to the math on that one, but um. So, I think that it's going to go the full seven games, and I actually think the Capitals will win the series, um, but there's a little bit more to that that we'll get into with some of the other stuff we're going to talk about, so I guess, Brian, if you want to go next. Want me to elaborate on my three-game three, three sweep prediction? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I remember that series, and that was, that was, the, um, that was the, the year after they won the Cup, um, 
And that, that was I, where the whole Braden Holpe legend started. That's I think when, he was yes. either a rookie or second year player and just completely shut the Bruins down. And which honestly, if he were still around, even though his plays declined, then my my answer might be the Capitals. Um, that series, the the Bruins were without Horton too, which which kind of sucked. But anyway, uh, as for the twenty twenty one rendition, um, yeah, I mean, I like the Bruins in six. Um, you know, for. For all the reasons you kind of said, Bridget, um, we don't really know exact. They, it's ironic how they've played eight times this year, and the two playoff lineups that we're going to see square off on Saturday have only played each other really once, and it was a few weeks back uh, when the Bruins won the game. I think it was five to three or six to three, or whatever it was. Um, you know, the eight-one loss. I don't put much stock into that. Like Scott said, it was a depleted lineup, and then you know, last night doesn't count. Um, the thing I like about playing the Capitals more so than the Penguins and certainly more so than the Islanders is that the Bruins have a lot of success generating offense against the Capitals. Defensively, you know, John Carlson's great. Um, Dimitri Orlov can move the puck and stuff like that. They have some puck movers, um, Justin Schultz, and then obviously Char is back there. But, um, you know, they're, they're vulnerable defensively. They have some, they have some holes in their game. Um, they have some, some forwards who, when they want to play a certain way, can win a Stanley Cup. Um, but as we've seen in the past with Washington, oftentimes, you know, Ovechkin can get lazy on back checks and Backstrom and all these guys. I think the Bruins have a better defensive game overall. Um, and like I said, I, unfortunately, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I did see um, on line the other day, um, the Bruins uh, had the most success against the Sabres offensively in the division. They had the second most success against the Capitals, and that was without uh, the additions of... Taylor Hall, Mike Riley, and Curtis Lazar. So I think I like the Bruins in six. Um, you know, I really think they need to stay healthy. That's first and foremost. And, um, you know, I have other reasons as to why I think the Bruins will win. But I do think it'll be Boston in six. And can I just add, so this is why I had such a hard time. Because I do think that there is somewhat of a home ice advantage. I know a lot of people don't think that it's really going to be as much. And, and But people are saying, you know... They're thinking that way because of the crowd size is only going to be 12% and then increased a little bit later on um, in the playoffs for the Capitals. But I think it has more to, it has not everything to do with the crowd, right? Sometimes people are just more comfortable in their hometown, not having the travel right before. Um, And there's, there's something there that you can still get an advantage from, obviously. Um, So, and the Capitals have been really, really good against the Bruins on home ice. I, I pulled up some other stats from Washington. Uh, at Capital One or Ice Arena in the last 12 games, they're 9-3-0 against the Bruins there. And they've outscored the Bruins in those games 40-25. to And I, I, just, I think that that's a significant enough stat to think that it could continue. It uh, could continue on. But to a completely different part of what Brian was saying, the goaltending situation for the Bruins is like leaps and bounds ahead of what it is for the Capitals because Vitek Vanacek um, isn't the ideal guy. I don't think they would want in net. He's definitely no Braden Holtby. So you're, you're, um, you're spoiling part of my prediction here. <laughs> I apologize. I guess well, it is your turn, Scott. So go ahead. Yeah. So I guess I will be the most confident of all. Uh, I'm saying Bruins in five. I think they are a much better team in just about every area, uh, especially post-trade deadline with the additions they made. They have been a significantly better 5-on-5 team. I think they are a significantly better defensive team, and I think they have significantly better goaltending. And I add all that up, and I see 
the Capitals having a hard time making this a long series. Uh, the Bruins, since the trade deadline, have the best 5-5 five and five goal differential in the NHL at plus 21. The Capitals, since the trade deadline, are a plus 2. They're basically slightly above league average, and it was a plus 1 before Tuesday night, before they got to face the Providence Bruins. Uh, as you mentioned, Vanacek, before Tuesday night, was under 900 over the last month and a half, save percentage. Yeah, and he still has a 2.7 goals against average. Yeah, he's he's at, I think, 903 now since... Uh, over the last month and a half. Ilya Samsonov is in COVID protocol. We don't know if he's going to be cleared. Even if he is, he has struggled of late. He's 896 over his last 10 games. Uh, so I do not trust their goaltending. Uh, I think the Bruins have a big edge there. Tugarask, I think, looked a little bit shaky his last two starts of the year. Uh, but I will still definitely take him over whatever Washington puts in there. And if Rask does struggle or his back flares up or whatever the case, the Bruins, sh- I think, should not hesitate, should not have uh, too mu- too many reservations about going to Jeremy Swayman because, yes, a small sample, but in the time that Jeremy Swayman has played, he has been, simply put, one of the best goaltenders in the NHL. He is, I think I saw this last night, he is, uh, if you get into like the fancy stats of like goals saved above average, uh, he's 10th in the NHL, and he's He's done it in 10 games, and everyone else has, like, anywhere from 23 to, like, 40 starts. My favorite, it's crazy. My favorite thing about him is that technically, because he's played enough game, he leads the NHL in goals against average and in save percentage. So, like, he's obviously not played anywhere near how, as many games as the other guys. But they, and my favorite part about it is that they don't even have a picture of him, whereas they have a picture of all the other guys. It's just, like, a gray goalie face, like, <laughs> to-be-determined picture of him. So it's kind of funny. And he, he has done so well uh, so far. And he's been, he's been getting more starts recently than Halak. And Cassidy confirmed that he's, Swayman will be the backup in the series. And... You're saying, Scott, though, that you think he might have a short leash? And Swayman uh, could get... I don't know if a short leash is right, but I would say if if Rask... Like, I don't think one bad game does it, but if he's shaky for the first two games, and, you know, look, obviously if you come out of that, like, 0-2, you're in trouble, and, like, now you have some real decisions to make. But even if it's if it's 1-1 after two games and Rask has struggled... I wouldn't. I wouldn't mind putting Swayman in, like. But I think it's going to be more than one bad game for sure. Like it's not. It's not going to be that short. Um, but I think probably the more concerning thing would be if his back flares up because Rask hasn't played back to back yet. Uh, we don't know the full series schedule as we sit here uh, Wednesday morning. I'm sure we'll be getting that in the next day or two. But there could be a back to back somewhere in there. Uh, Rask. You know, a week ago when he was asked about how he wanted the final week of the season to go, said basically, more rest is better for me right now. Like, I think it's pretty clear that he is not 100% or even all that close to it health-wise. Uh, I think Rask can be a very good goalie even if he's not 100% health-wise. Like, I, I don't think it's debilitating, but I also think there's, you know, there is potential there that it flares up and he's not able to play the way he needs to play and can i amend my prediction because this is one of the ones i had already you have to stick to your guns now no because i still have it's mine's just a draft and i didn't answer that question yet which one (laughs) for our article oh okay got you you. what the series would go that was like one i left blank (laughs) up until this point and now i'm thinking like so i'm thinking these guys the capital well yeah well i had convinced myself (laughs) i had convinced myself 
that but it's ca- like Bruins sweep actually in <laughs> <laughs> no. three right Brian um oh, God. no I actually I kind of agree with Brian now Bruins of course six. Even, even when I'm wrong I'm right you'll find that out soon <laughs> enough um so what, what so what's the biggest reason you think you've changed your mind in I, just five minutes I think that I never really made up my mind in the first place, but I feel like now it makes more sense to me that the goaltending situation is definitely like a clear advantage for the Bruins. And I think they have more pieces to work with and more more guys that they could switch in and out and rely on. Um, so changes that they could make in the middle of the series that could help them win, uh, depending on if they need to go bigger or go faster. So... Yeah, they have a lot. Of, they have some advantages I hadn't been thinking of before, or at least hadn't been weighing in that same kind of like way that the Bruins have such a sizable advantage in some of those categories. Mm-hmm. I mean, if this was a month ago, guys, I would have I would have said um, Washington, right? But but ever since the trade deadline, the Bruins didn't just get Hall, Riley, and Lazar. Like they got. <laughs> They got like an entirely new team um, because of the butterfly effect, right? I mean, David Krejci's. If David David Krejci, I think, finished the year with forty four points, um, something like that, and if he had Taylor Hall on his wing all season long, I mean, he's probably upwards of sixty. And you know, same with Hall. I mean, he the dynamic of the team has totally changed. They're a much faster team. Um, they were already a fast team, but they weren't like next level fast. And I think they are now. I think that. Lines one through four, um, no matter what the combinations are on those bottom uh, two lines anyway, they come with speed through the, through the neutral zone. Um, and a lot of it starts in the back end, right? You add Mike Riley to McAvoy and Grizzlick, who obviously can skate and move the puck. Um, and as far as like the bottom of three defense for the Bruins, I like them better than Washington's bottom of three defense when it comes to mobility. Um, but they're a much faster team, and they're a much deeper team offensively. They're... They've always been a better defensive team than Washington. And now, like you said, Scott, I don't see an area. Maybe um, maybe the power play. But I don't yeah. really—but even then, it's like kind of a pick em. Well, yeah, so that's the one thing where I think the Bruins could get in trouble is if it turns into a special teams battle. Uh, the Capitals' power play has had a lot of, a lot of success, success against everyone in the season. I think they're the third-ranked power play in the NHL. But especially against the Bruins, who have the top-ranked penalty kill, but the Capitals have gone. Uh, I, I, I didn't look this up after last night, but it, I have it here. Uh, they have they had 29 power play opportunities and nine goals, which is about yeah, scoring so on about a third against of the, the Bru- against the Bruins. Against, just yeah. against the Bruins, it's 31 percent. How many? 31 percent. How many power play opportunities? 29. All right, and I think 28 of those were penalties against Clifton. So <laughs> <laughs> if, he, if he's out in the lineup, they should be good to go. But also the Bruins have had trouble scoring against them in their pe- in their penalty kills. So um, they're killing off 87% of the Bruins' power plays this season. So that also doesn't bode well. Um, even if you do get on the man advantage, and as we've noted before, the top line hasn't been performing on the power play um, as of latest. They, they've started well to turn a corner, though. Not not to the point where like I'd call it a definitive strength again. But... I- I think both power play units have started to look a little bit better here late in the season. Yeah, and so this is the power play kind of changes the whole series, doesn't it? If you keep giving well, up these kind of yeah. penalties, uh, you know, a few penalties a game, it can completely change this series. If if you let Washington get those kind of advantages, they'll make you pay 
like like pretty much a third of the time. So. Yeah, that's just it. It 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 can change the series if the Bruins let it. The Bruins can not let it by not taking penalties. Don't get goaded into stuff. Don't take the lazy stick penalties we've seen them take early in the season. Uh, you know, so I had written something about this. Um, I don't know a couple of weeks ago about because the Bruins were in a stretch where like they're taking five six penalties a game for like a week and a half two they, weeks span. Correct me if I'm wrong. They were the most penalized team at that point. They were that, yeah, but they, they've cleaned it up over the last couple of weeks. Uh, they're they've they're now fifth in terms of penalties. And whereas they had had one stretch where I think they went six of eight games with 10 or more penalty minutes, they've now only taken 10 or more penalty minutes in two of their last 11 games. And one of them was Tuesday night with all the AHL guys where things are like, whatever, like they're trying to rile up Tom Wilson. Like, so even throw that one out. But they, so they cleaned the Bruins had cleaned up their act quite a bit over the last two weeks in terms of staying out of the box. And they'll definitely need that to continue. The Capitals will obviously try to draw them into into stuff. You know, Capitals love finishing hits. They love going after the whistle. And they can, love getting under guys' skin. Two of the guys who are the best at that in the league, one obviously Tom Wilson, but Hathaway is also like a close second in terms yeah. of guys that can get under your skin. And, and also in terms of throwing injuries. dirty hits, yeah, dirty, as, dirty as Jared Tenorio yeah. can attest. No, if, you, if you're the Bruins, uh, you know, Bruce Cassidy and his coaching staff, <laughs> first of all, the Bruins players already know this. They've played them eight times, right? But um, the names that are circled are Tom Wilson, Garnet Hathaway, Nick Dowd, Brendan Dillon, maybe Big Z. But, like, the Bruins know the handful o- Ovechkin, of... Ovechkin. Ca- like, you know, uh, Ovechkin will throw... Yeah, Ovechkin, Ovechkin, but... but yeah, for sure. But I, I, I more so mean Ovechkin really won't do much after whistles unless provoked. But like the guys I mentioned, like didn't those, he, didn't he like hit someone in the yeah, crotch? Yeah, he, 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 he speared he speared Freddie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So. speared him in the Freddies. Yeah, yeah, right, 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 right in the Nuggets. But um, <laughs> the uh, yeah, those guys, the Bruins need. They'll know. Look, you, you got you, you can't you can't. Um, you know, take the bait on those players because those players, you know, Garnet Hathaway, Nick Dowd, uh, look, they're good at what they do if if that's stirring the pot and creating energy, but they're not going to really hurt you on the scoreboard. So um, if you're the Bruins, obviously you want to embrace that playoff intensity and, and you want to definitely engage, you know, in some scrums and whatnot um, when when necessary. But yes, discipline is huge. I think the biggest I think the biggest ways the Capitals could could. In my opinion, honestly, despite being the higher seed, for what it's worth, uh, can steal the series is, um, you know, if the Bruins are undisciplined, if they can intimidate Boston, and if they can, um, as you guys talked about, um, no pun intended, but capitalize on the man advantage against the Bruins, and or, or in that in in that vein, any odd man rush opportunity, if you get if you're giving up odd man rush opportunities to them, it's you're in trouble. So you can't, that means you can't be making uh, you can't be caught deep in your own offensive end. You can't be making uh, stupid plays at your own offensive blue line. And um, TJ Oshie has made the Bruins pay on a few turnovers in their own zone. So those are some things that they really need to to stay away from. I wonder if they go back to the McAvoy Lozon pairing because I remember one of the series against the Capitals. Lozon had a, a hell of a time with turnovers and. I think that you put him with McAvoy, he kind of cleans that up a little bit. Yeah, and I think I think this is also like so when Cassidy has talked about, you know, how he might swap 
Chris like McAvoy and Lausanne McAvoy, depending on matchups. I think this is the kind of matchup where Lausanne McAvoy, at least to start, makes sense because you're probably going to want some physicality and size every pairing, especially on the road where the Capitals can get whatever matchup they want. Like, you know, they could try to put out bigger guys to really forecheck hard on Grizzly and McAvoy together. Um, so, yeah, I could definitely see Lozon McAvoy to start. And then, as we've talked about before, if you need to go to Grizzly McAvoy, whether you're trailing, it's an offensive zone face-off, you know, whatever the situation is, you can roll that out at, at any time, too. So there's some interchangeability there. And obviously, you know, McAvoy and Grizzly are going to get a ton of minutes. Lozon's not going to get as many. Kevin Miller's not going to get as many. So, yeah, there'll be some swapping there. Riley Carlo will probably be the one consistent pairing. Um, you know, their, so their last game on, uh, or second to last game on Saturday, they were pretty shaky, mm-hmm. especially in that third period against the Rangers. But I know everyone was, but that pairing in particular uh, was on the ice for two goals against, and then Riley had another bad turnover while he was paired with Kevin Miller. But I thought they looked a little better Monday and – you know, I imagine that that's what they're going to start with, and they'll roll with that until they have to make any sort of change for whatever reason. But yeah, so you know, one thing that's going to be really interesting in this series is the the top six matchups because I think both teams have a lot of talent on their top two lines. But where I like the Bruins in that matchup is how much better their top two lines have been defensively. They've scored a lot. Yeah, they've also given up very little. The Capitals' top two lines score a lot but can also give up goals. They can be exposed on their own end. And whether it's head-to-head or, you know, if you, if the Bruins' third or fourth line's out there against them, you can get some chances against those groups. And, by the way, we're still waiting to see if the Capitals' top six is even going to be completely healthy come game one on Saturday. Uh, Oshi suffered... So a bunch of their guys just came back and have practiced or, or played Tuesday night, but Oshi did not practice Tuesday, Monday or Tuesday, uh, after suffering a lower body injury, he did not play on Tuesday. You know, Peter Laviolette's really kept it close to the vest in terms of he's just called him day-to-day. Uh, Evgeny Kuznetsov is still in protocol as COVID protocol as of Wednesday morning. We'll see if there's an update on that on Wednesday or what happens there. But it's the sec- second time this season he's been in COVID protocol. So they still have some stuff to figure out in their top six, too. But even if they're fully healthy... You know, it, it looks like the lines that they've used when they were healthy was uh, Ovechkin, Kuznetsov, Wilson on one line, and then Mantha, uh, Backstrom, Oshie on another. And like I said, that, that top line, especially Ovechkin, Kuznetsov, Wilson, that's not a line that wants to be playing much defense. So if you get them out there against one of the Bruins' top two lines and Bruins' top two, you know, one of those Bruins' lines gets them pinned in their own zone and running around chasing the puck... That's not what those guys want to do. Well, they, like, won't, they won't even be chasing the puck, Scott, because yep. not only do they not want to play defense, but <laughs> unless they score on like an initial chance or two, like they don't even like to pursue the puck. Like, look, Ovechkin will he he's an interesting character because we all know he's um, you know one of the literally one of the greatest goal scorers to ever play the game and may finish the greatest goal scorer. But there are shifts where he is a madman and will hunt down Charlie McAvoy and try to put him through the glass. There are other shifts where he just 
glides out there and you know maybe he'll get an opportunity in the slot and it it, it just it'll get blocked and and he just kind of sits there with his stick on his hips and then the Bruins go. The, I think the Bruins as a, as a team, I think the Bruins are going to outwork Washington in the top six. Yeah, they have a ton of talent, but I see I see some laziness too. I see Evgeny Kuznetsov. I see laziness in his game. I see a lot of flybys with him. Um, Nick Backstrom can get a little lazy sometimes when things don't go his way. Same with Ovi. Um, Oshie will always work hard. Tom Wilson will always work hard. Um, Anthony Mantha, I haven't seen enough of him to say one way or the other, but either way, like you look at Brad Martian uh, and Patrice Bergeron. Like obviously they have they have you know elite skill. Otherwise they wouldn't be professional athletes. But it's their elite work ethic. They're all world work ethic on second and third puck chances that separate them and, well, and make them so dynamic. Yeah, and you look at how that rubs off. Where like, well, Taylor Hall's comments. Right, after the exactly. Game. I was just gonna like Taylor Hall's a guy where in the past people have said, oh, maybe he's one of those guys like you know who doesn't always work hard or just wants to play offense or whatever. Well, he's come here and that has been could not be further from the truth. He has worked hard all over the ice, back checking, defense, everything. And he talked about how he's he watches Brad Marchand play, and he's like, "Oh, I can I can do that, and I have to do that." And you can clearly see that it's rubbed off on him. Like Taylor, that whole line has been a really good two way line, and we knew you know we knew Craig Smith was a good two way player. We knew Krejci can be when he's on his game, and then when you get Hall playing that way, now you have two elite elite two way lines. Like I've heard people. I've heard people on radio on on both Boston stations saying like it gives the Bruins one of the best second lines in the NHL. I'm like, no, 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 hold on. Hall, Krejci, Smith is one of the best lines in the NHL. Like, yeah, they're second on the depth chart, but I think you can very easily make a case that the Bruins have two of the six to eight best lines in the NHL, and that might even be conservative. They might both be in the top five, and I don't think I am overstating that at all. Well, I'm ask you guys this, uh, you know. Other teams with notable top six, top sixes, right? You have, um, you know, Pittsburgh with Crosby, Malkin, etc. You have the Oilers with McDavid and Drysaddle. You have the Avalanche with Landis, Gog, McKinnon, Rantanen. But you know, uh, Vegas also as well. But you know, until you really see them during a game, you're like, oh yeah, that's what their full second line is, right? It's always like, you know, you know, Drysaddle split up. You can pick apart the the names, yeah, but the, yeah. not the whole lineup. And, like, and to be fair, maybe other teams' fans around the league are thinking the same thing when it comes to Craig Smith. They're like, okay, so you got the perfection line, then you have Krejci and Hall, and who's the other guy? But I, I do think that, um, yeah, I, I think they're top six um, because. They're playing to their ceiling, and because uh, their work ethic is matching their skill level, they um, they definitely have one of, if not the best, top six in hockey right now. I, you know, uh, the Maple Leafs also are up there too. But yeah, it, it's it's exciting to watch, and the Taylor Hall comments were very encouraging. Um, you know, you're happy for the guy. He's you know he's been. Yeah, I I did my whole story after that game on that, on the comments that he made about Marshawn, um, kind of, kind of like a monkey see monkey do kind of thing. Like he, I see what he does. I see what works for the Bruins and I see what works in this division. And I, I know I can play that way. So I'm going to, I'm going to work to be more like Marshawn. And then he knows that he's allowed to play that way because he's got Krejci on his line and he's got Smith on his line. He's, you know, free to kind of go in on the four check and, 
make those kind of plays in the offensive zone where, I mean, that overtime goal, that overtime goal was one of the prettiest goals I've seen in a long time. Dragged it right through the defender's legs, just lifted it. Goalie had no idea where that was going. He had no clue it was going the other side. So the lost art of the backhander. <laughs> yeah, he and and he did it all in like half a second. So, I mean, he's been so impressive. And he, if he's going at this pace, the Bruins are are in really good shape heading in. But if he slows down, which we haven't seen yet, um, and I really actually don't see this like on the horizon, but he's going to be a key player in this series. Yeah, that's like so. I was gonna kind of seek into another topic, but. You know, I think uh, we were talking about X factors, and that'll be part of our preview piece that we post. And f- for me, it's it's both of the major deadline acquisitions on both teams. Like Taylor Hall has been elite, but this is now it's the first time he goes into the playoffs on a true cup contender. He's you know he went there for a five game series with a devil team that I think was the eight seed, got knocked down five by the Lightning. Uh, he went there last year with the Coyotes, who were only there because the field expanded to twelve teams for the summer bubble and and look his numbers in the playoffs haven't been bad he has 12 points in 14 games but that's a pretty small sample and it's on teams that had no expectations so this is the first time you're going in where you're expected to make a long playoff run and you're expected to be a key part of it so there there's some pressure there doesn't that make you expect scott that he'll do better than that i would hope so yeah it look the way he's playing the attitude he's had since coming to boston certainly lends itself to the idea that yeah like he's He's in this. He's invested. He's bringing the effort, and this is going to go well. You know that. You know that that gif of the little two year old, one year old baby in the Penguins jersey that's like, ah, yeah, going crazy. <laughs> I think that's you know Taylor Hall personified. I think he'll be juiced up for the, for the yeah. start of the playoffs. Yeah, I've liked seeing him getting like chippy in in guys' faces recently too. Like he he just looks like a guy who's like completely in. Yeah, and Cassidy said that he's since he's showed up his personality has like slowly come out and now he, he seems like he's fully acquainted with the guys and um, he feels comfortable in the locker room now. And I think that they made him feel welcome really quickly. And, you know, when you're scoring the way he does, how could you not want to, you know, bring him in and, and make him feel like he's a big part of the team right away? I yeah. mean, the, the, there's good news and bad news about his overtime goal the other night. Um, the bad news is that he's not going to have that much time and space in the postseason. The good news is that he is going to enter the postseason with a ton of confidence, and and that goal doesn't happen. Uh, yeah, I get it. It's three on three. Um, it's supposed to be offensive, but that goal, that goal doesn't happen without confidence. And um, you know, fortunately for Taylor, he kind of came here right away and, and and found the score sheet. It kind of snowballed for him, right? He came in early and scored early. He he found his confidence early with the Bruins. He he saw what he could do, and then that kind of just made him more confident. And then the next time he scored, he's more confident. And now yeah. he's at the point where he's, you have to assume he's pretty much as confident as he could possibly yeah, and, be. And I think even in his, those Marshawn comments that we talked about, like that's confidence to be able to look at Brad Marshawn, one of the best players in the NHL and think I can do that. got to be pretty damn confident to, to like, to look but at he, that and decide though? you're, he's no, he's a hundred percent right. Absolutely. But I, I wonder if like, like, I don't know if Taylor Hall in Buffalo playing against the Bruins looked at Brad Marshawn and thought, I could do that. I think he thought, Jesus, my game's in the dump. Like, what the hell's going on here? David, what do you make of uh, of Taylor Hall's comments about Brad Marshawn? Yeah, you know, uh, how's he coming right away and, you know, really, really work hard and 
Um, I've actually been here a long time and, you know, leads by example. And yeah, we're really excited to go into the postseason and kind of, you know, keep keep this thing going. So, yeah, yeah thank you. Brian, that's more than Krejci has ever said in an answer on the post game. <laughs> he keeps it quiet. He keeps it quick to uh, the point. Um, but Bridget, did you um did you want to jump over to your your X factor, my favorite player in the league? Your favorite player in the league. So I I looked at this from a little bit of an outside the box standpoint because I figured the first people that came to my mind was like Hall and Krejci, almost not even by themselves, but together. Like they have to be together to be playing at that kind of level. But then I was like, well, those guys have been so consistent. You can almost expect them to go in and play like that. And if you can expect the top line to go in and get as many goals as they've been getting in, and that even means, even with Hasta kind of playing a little bit subpar for his standards, Bergeron and Marshawn have always been able to pick up the pace for, for that line. They've always been able to find production anyway. So you consider those two lines as like, let's just assume they're going the way that they usually go then who's the next person that can make a difference in the game and really be the person to push them over the hump and, and give them that extra offense and that secondary scoring? So I thought Nick Ritchie could be a, an answer to that question that you can make an argument for just because of the, the way that he plays the game. So he, he is on the top power play unit. He does you know have a lot of good net front presence. He's a tough guy, and that's going to be important against the Capitals. And... He's just he he's just been somebody who's added that secondary scoring for the Bruins very consistently. I think he matches up well against the Capitals, and there's an argument that could be made that you know not not your X factor the way that most people would think of it, but like who's the guy that gives you that extra push? It could be Nick Ritchie. Well, I think if he takes the ice for Game One and his hair is sticking through the top of his helmet, <laughs> I mean the capital the Capitals are F. There, there's no chance the of the Devil's taking... Horn. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, I mean, Bridget, I think, um, I think that's a totally valid answer for an X factor. It doesn't have to be a star player. In fact, uh, I would argue that an X factor is oftentimes not a star player. So maybe Scott and I should kind of look in the mirror and question, uh, yeah. you know, our integrity, but well, well, and like, you know, one player who's, I feel like has always been listed as the X factor for the last couple of years has been Charlie Coyle, who we haven't gotten to yet, Yeah, but same idea, right? He's, he's on that third line. In the past, he's the one that you've relied on to to lead that line and 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 you know create the chances and create the goals. Uh, he is expected to be back for game one. He's been a little banged up recently, though. It did seem like Cassidy had a little bit of like question in his voice about that. Did you catch that? He was like, he should be, but he yeah. it wasn't like as confident as I yeah. Would have I think I think just I think that's kind of just four days out. He doesn't want to declare something that so, two days from now he's going to have to walk he back. Blocked, he, he got hit in the wrist with a shot, right? Or something along yeah, those lines. Yeah, for friendly fire from Brandon Carlo. Yeah, so, you know, I, I think maybe Cassidy just doesn't know exactly, you know. Yeah, uh, maybe you're waiting for swelling to go down. Yeah, but he's back. probably, it sounds, every, everything I've read and, and heard, it sounds like they're pretty confident that he'll be good yeah, to but, go for game but, one. Um, I noticed, like, two days ago, he sounded more confident than he did yesterday. Well, because initially he had said that they hope to get get him back into one of the last two regular season games, and that didn't happen. So I will I will say Cassidy's very very transparent, and I do feel like if there I feel like he wouldn't eh, maybe he doesn't want to show his no pun intended uh, his hand, but you know I don't think that he would mislead the media if if he didn't think he'd be back. But regardless, you know if it's not game one, he'll be back soon enough. But you know Bridget, you mentioned Ricky uh, Richie, and then uh, Scott, you mentioned Coyle. The third member of that line is Sean Corrali at center. And 
you know, the three of us have talked about it um, in person, via text, all that stuff. You know, the bottom two line combinations and, you know, what's the ideal look. And I've said in the past, and I think we're all in agreement, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And I, I really like the, the new third line. And obviously, Corrali at center and Coyle on the wing wasn't what everybody drew up in the beginning of the year. But they offer size, speed, skill, and it enables the Bruins to go with more of a, air quotes, fourth line of a Lazar with a DeBrusque or Kuhlman and was... Wagner or Frederick, whatever the case may be, like you guys have said, they can kind of they can kind of change that fourth line depending on where the series is at and what, what they need. But because the third line is big, physical, and skilled, if they have to match up with Dowd and Hathaway or whomever they can, and then the fourth line could be a more speedy line that gets in on the four check and creates turnovers. And Brian, you nailed it. Like you couldn't have said that better more towards what I like I was thinking. Uh, this the same exact thing. It gives the fourth line flexibility. So you can decide whether or not you want to go heavy two two lines back to back or you want to go back to speed. And and Cassidy's kind of hinted that he might be thinking about going with speed, despite the fact that, you know, Washington's a big team and a heavy team. They actually were able, even last even last night, with the young players that they had in the lineup, for some of them for the first time this season, they got a good look at what a speedy lineup could do to the Capitals, and he liked what he saw. They were able to get in behind the Capitals' defense, and he thought that that worked out well. So now Cassidy, he, which he hasn't said, he cemented in stone what that fourth line will be, and that's because he's so flexible. And he knows he can make those adjustments mid-series if he needs to. Yeah, and, you know, I, I think the best fourth line that the Bruins have had recently was DeBrusque, Lazar, Kuhlman. And yes. that's that's the speed line that we're talking about. Uh, so I would start with that because I feel like there's been times in the past where I think Cassidy almost, and a lot of coaches do this, you almost overthink the matchup and think, well, they have size, so we need to have size. And you kind of lose sight of, what actually works best for us? Like, what do we do best? Exactly, Scott. It's like yeah. you're playing to match them rather than playing to beat them necessarily. Like, you're not playing to your strengths. You're playing against their strengths. So it's it, they're counter. They're, they're two different ways to go at it, and I think the Bruins are smart to go with a speed. Um, by the way, Lazar is a tough guy anyway. He's still yeah. going to be the center on that line. You, DeBrusque is, is pretty much, um, you know, he's going to be on that fourth line too. So all you'd be adding would be Frederick if you were going to add, you know, quote unquote strength, toughness to that fourth line. So that's one more guy. But you already got a lot of big guys and tough guys in the lineup, including some yeah. of your defensemen. Um, and, and Nick Ritchie, obviously. Who already tuned up pathway earlier this year. Yes. And, and so... Maybe if you need a statement against Wilson at some point, you bring in Frederick, but I don't know if that's how Cassie's going to start the series. I kind of feel like it's not. I, I do agree with you. Coleman, I think, gives them um, a good option on that fourth line with his speed, and he's been really playing like 100% so far from what we've seen. He wants to be in. He wants to prove that he's supposed to be you know, on that line. Yeah, and if you bring in Frederick and you're still keeping DeBrusque in, that knocks DeBrusque over to his off wing which he, he hasn't been as good there. Like, it is ideal to have DeBrusque on the left side. And Cassidy, Tuesday night, talked about how he thinks DeBrusque has started to find his game here recently. So, it, you know, I don't think you make a comment like that if that's someone you're thinking about taking out of the lineup. Like, it seems to me like DeBrusque is going to be on that fourth line. If, you know, if Coyle's not ready to return, then he's probably even up on the third line playing on the right side. 
so yeah, so you have Frederick and I get, I guess to a lesser extent Wagner. I was gonna who, say who's we... had a couple decent games here recently. Yeah. Like he's But don't you find him to be the odd man out in yeah, either situation? I, I think he's fourth out of those fourth line wing options. I... Oh, wing options. And that yeah. and that's 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 um, you know, obviously without Andre Kasha, who even if he does come back, because apparently it wasn't a, you know another concussion. Um, they said it was a they potentially wrap conditioning yeah. issue. Yeah, yeah. Whatever the case may be, it's like you even can't if have he, conditioning he, issues in the playoffs. No, and 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 in if he's unless he's in bubble wrap, like I don't trust him getting through a series anyway. So I'm gonna go um, under the assumption that even if he gets back into a game or two, like he won't be there for the long haul. And no. the reality is, guys, there will be injuries. So this conversation is kind of like. Only really a game one combo, which is fine. But like, there will be injuries. I think eventually, where you know, there will, Bruce won't have to make so many tough decisions. It'll kind of be like, well, this is who's next up. It's yeah. pretty obvious. Yeah, I think at this point, Kasha is more. Maybe we revisit it down the road. You know, a series from now, if we have multiple injuries and he's feeling better and he's had, you know, a, a bunch of full practices under his belt type thing, like. I I I completely understand why they wanted to get him into a game. It made all the sense in the world. You, he got cleared. You know he's been skating. He got a practice, a full practice in. You wanted to see what you had there, just in case. Maybe he goes out like you know lights the world on fire, and you're like, holy crap, this is a third line player. Didn't happen, obviously. He didn't make it through the game. So, you know now, hey, let him keep practicing, working his way back. Now now you know like okay, we don't need to rush him because. He wasn't there. You know, we have a, a pretty solid lineup as is. So let him just keep working on his game, working on his conditioning. And if a situation arises down the road, worry about it then. And can I just add that Cassidy threw a little bit of a wrench in that in what he's thinking about for the fourth line, by the way, last night. I don't know if you guys caught it in this post-game uh, press conference. But I just want to read this. So they ask him, you know, what kind of lineup he wants to go with uh, against Washington in the playoffs. He says, playoff hockey depends is depending on the matchup. You're looking at it, it's going to be Washington, so you look at a, l- a little closer to Freddie's game, some of the bigger bodies. But I also noticed that we forechecked well and had good foot speed against their D. So that's where Bleed and Coolman come in. Let's just stop there for a second. Bleed isn't someone that's been part of the conversation before, no. but he kind of brought him in a little bit. I think, obviously, Coleman is, is the one he would go with, but I just thought it was interesting that he brought Bleed up in the same vein, because a lot of people think of Bleed also as, like, a, a bigger, tougher guy, but he's saying, you know, he's one of the guys who's quick and can get behind their D. So um, he he goes on to say, so again, all, poss- all possibilities if the need arises, but right now we're pretty solidified when we go back home. Not sure about Kashi yet, but I believe Coyle will be ready. We should be a pretty pretty healthy with the guys we got, but nice to know there's a few choices there. Yeah, so I guess I read that more as, like, if we need to, again, if we get depleted and we need to go to bleed at some point, we feel pretty good about him. And he had he had high praise for, for Oscar Steen's game, too, and Can Cameron use. Hughes, yeah. So, you know, look, obviously you hope you never have to get down that far in your depth chart. He, like, jacks to Nika's game Tuesday night. Uh, How about Seneshin? Did you, like, Brian, did you like how Seneshin played? Um... <laughs> No, I threw up for three hours watching him. <laughs> no, I mean he—he he, he just didn't do anything. It, like he—he's—he's he's six years removed from being drafted. Like it's—it's—it's—it's it's, it's been now and never for a few years now, and I just—I don't see it with him. He skates like he's take. Uh, you know what? 
we'll move on from him. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, Did you want to get into the the Tuka Rask prediction part of it? Yes. Or... yes. Yeah. Sure. Let's just get into goaltending in general. Like, how do we feel about Rask going into the series, and and what do you know? All right. So here's here's what I think about Tuka. I watched him against the Islanders, and it, for me, it, it's not so much the goals he lets in or how many he lets in or when he lets them in. For me, Tuca's dialed in when I see that he's engaged. And, you know, when I see Jeremy Swayman in his first, you know, 9, 10 games fighting to see through screens, hacking guys in the back of the leg, and, and tr- doing everything he can to see around guys in front of him to make sure that he can see every shot coming at him from the point... And then you see Tuca against the Islanders and, you know, a couple shots go in because he's standing still because he didn't see it. Well, you got to fight to see it. And so if Tuca's not really engaged, but they're still winning games, like that kind of makes me nervous because the age-old question with Tuca is, is he good enough to win you a cup? And and that's why, Scott, you posed the question, like, what will people be saying? And I think that win or lose against the Capitals, the, the narrative will be the same. I still don't trust them. And I think that win or lose, you will have people um, calling for Swayman. Just because, first of all, he looks beyond his years. He plays with poise and confidence, but he also plays with compete. And if I if if Tuka comes out on Saturday and he, he has a nastiness to his game, and I understand he's a goalie, but you have to have that fire as a goalie. And if I see that from him, I'll feel a lot better. Um, that's that's my two cents on Tuka. I don't know how long his leash will be. It's going to be interesting to see. Maybe back inflammation is the best bet for Swayman to get in because Tuka doesn't really have a lot of, you know, um, yank-worthy games in a row, or even many for that matter at all. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Can I go next? Because I yeah. have almost like the polar opposite answer of Brian. So not because I disagree oh, with not sake. because I disagree with you 100%, Brian, but just I was looking at it in a more She'll agree with you five minutes from now. No, oh, come on. Um, <laughs> I was just looking at it in a more optimistic way because being at some of the games, you could see that fire in Tuca a little bit. And he was playing a little bit playoff-esque kind of Tuca hockey earlier in the season. And I think the circumstances um, actually work in his favor, having Swayman behind him because the Bruins have been most successful with goaltending when they've had two guys fighting for that spot. And he has to know that there's a chance that Swayman takes over. And also let's not forget, this is a contract year for Tuco. Like his, his contract's expiring. And if he wants to play another year in the league, whether it be for the Bruins or elsewhere, he needs to, convince a team that he can be the guy that gets them through the playoffs and maybe to the Stanley Cup so for those reasons he he has to think about those things and he can probably raise his game a little bit just from those two things alone and I saw it's not like he's too old obviously he has that lingering back injury but it hasn't stopped him in the games that he's played recently I think that He's able to rise up to the occasion. Uh, I would love for that to happen because all of the callers that call into the station that just hate Tuca for no reason, it's just ridiculous. They'll still call. Well, it's not for no reason. Well, I shouldn't say that. They call for no reason in the middle of September when the season hasn't been going on for months. (laughs) Um, So, But I just looked at it more optimistically based on the good things that people have seen and and the good performances he's had. Not to mention, uh, he's he seems to be one of the players that gets most affected by whether or not the fans are there and the fans are back in Boston and they're always, you know, giving him the two chant. So 
I think I, I've seen that give him a little bit of an extra boost in the past, and I think that works for him as well. Yeah, I would agree. Like, like obviously we know his comments from the bubble last year, and that was kind of the whole start of like, there's something off here, like something's going on. And obviously his mind, I think his mind was already elsewhere at that time. Like, I, you know, I, I think he wanted to be home with his family, and then things got worse, and then he was. Um, but yeah, you're right. He's brought the fans up like a couple times, like almost unprompted. So you can tell. Like, he likes having that atmosphere. And um, these last two games, I guess what I would have really liked to have seen is... So, Brian mentioned, like, the compete, like, fighting through screens. Poe checking I also pucks in the slot when his defense don't see them. Yeah. Like, all these things that he's doing, that Swayman was doing. And, you know, I don't really think any of these goals were necessarily soft. That There was one against the Islanders where he didn't... I don't know if he didn't read the pass right, but he didn't get all the way across the crease. They were in both time. soft against the Islanders. Yeah, and um, but like against the Rangers, those third period breakdowns, those are just awful defensive breakdowns that left guys open in the slot. But I really would have liked to have seen Rask steal one or two back. You know, make a great save, like because we've seen that from Swayman recently, and that you know, look, I'm not on the Swayman should be starting right now. Like I. I think it, there's a difference between being good and ten re- really good in ten regular season games and being ready to lead a team in the playoffs. Rask has led a team in the playoffs before. I know people around here like to pretend that he can't or that he drags them down, but Rask has had some really good playoff run, lengthy playoff runs, and he knows what it takes to get through that. He knows what he needs to be doing. Um, you know, I just would have liked to have seen a little bit more high-end saves, taking back chances that probably shouldn't goals. And that's a lot to ask, and, you know, I get it. But when you're seeing your backup do it, it's like, okay, so can can Tuka do that right now? Like, is, is he in a place to be able to do that? Because there, there's been a couple of these goals recently where, you know, he gets beat over the blocker, and he kind of has, like, a little bit of poor body language, or, like, his arm's kind of just, like, hanging up, like, and looks over like, oh well, nothing I could have done about that. I could, I, I, and, I couldn't see it. It was yeah, a screen. Yeah, like, exactly. Like th- that. <laughs> so like that 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 did kind of bother me. And like I don't, I'm not the kind of person to make a huge deal out of it and be like, oh, he's like not into it or whatever, or trying to blame his defense in front of him or anything like that. Yeah. But I just think uh, he's got to turn it up, you know, a notch here for the playoffs. And I think he can. You know, I I think Ras could be very good. Um, but but we're gonna have to see it because. The last, the last two regular season for him were a little bit concerning. He's won, um, as a starting goaltender for the Bruins, he's won nine playoff series. Um, 2010, um, you know, the year they, they blew the three to Flyers, but they beat the Sabres that year. All up until um, conference finals against the like, in 2019. He's won nine playoff series. So he's definitely capable of, of playoff success. He's a he's a great goaltender. Um, well, he's, he's a very good goaltender, uh, you know, Great, I think, comes with with the ultimate prize. But um, I'm not saying he's not the starter game one. He definitely has earned that. I'm just saying, um, you know, he really has to he has to step up. He needs he, his team needs him, and um, you know, the Bruins as a franchise are in a position where you know they need to to cash in in the next couple of seasons here, and and uh, they have as good a chance. They have as good of a team as deep of a team this year, which is weird because. When we started this podcast a few months ago, we weren't saying that, but we can now. They have a, as deep a team as they have in probably, you know, nine, ten years. Um, so they have no excuse anymore. He has no excuse anymore. 
yeah, Char is gone. The defense as a team is still as effective as ever. And I just want to see Tuka step up. And if he doesn't, then um, unlike last year with Halak, where he can win a couple games but not a couple series, I think Swayman can. And I think that from the top down in the organization, the Bruins believe that as well. And so Tuka has to play and uh, play well, or else you know they may have to go to the young kid. Uh, I, I want so we're recording this Wednesday morning, and uh, Cam Neely and Don Sweeney are talking. But one last thing I just want to throw out there, because uh, obviously we touched on on Char a little bit, like that might be a good place to circle back around to. What kind of factor do we think Zdeno Char is going to be in this series? Is he going to be? Are the Bruins going to regret letting him go? Is he going to be a reason the Capitals? you know, win this, make it a long series, or do we think maybe maybe the Bruins can, can potentially expose him a little bit? Um, I think that he definitely adds in a wrinkle just because of the fact that he knows what they want to do in most situations. So he knows the kind of plays they want to do in their offensive zone off a draw, their defensive zone off a draw, on the power play, how they set up, what their code words are. So that makes you maybe have to just do a little bit of extra preparation. But those are things that you can overcome. Uh, I think that it, just because of his experience in the playoffs makes him more of a, a threat to the Bruins than anything else. And something Cassidy said was they haven't even gotten to see like the best that Chara can do for them, which he's alluding to the fact that this is the time of the year when he can really help lift guys up, provide the kind of you know support for them that he knows um, can help his teammates. And I, I think that that's more where he comes in. I'm not sure. Maybe, Brian, you have more thoughts on this um what the Bruins can really do to to expose him uh they know what kind of style player he is yes but he still plays defensively sound hockey yeah I think I think Char's effect um would be more so if this was a normal regular season where they saw the Capitals you know three times or so as opposed to eight because then Chara's knowledge of the Bruins would really be highlighted. But the teams have seen each other so much this year. It's like, yeah, Chara knows a lot, but... Everyone knows a lot about everyone. But but yeah. everyone knows a lot about everybody. And it's like, you can know what, you know, Martian likes to do. But he's so shifty and, 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 and you know, works so hard. That it doesn't really matter yeah, all like that much. Know, it's like, you know Ovechkin's going to take a one-timer from the dot, but it's still going to go in. Every so. single game, right? <laughs> so, um... I think Char's effect is more so uh, the intangibles, right? Like like being a, a leader in the locker room. Uh, if the Capitals have a few bad periods or shifts or even a few games and are down in a series, and you know, I think Chara can be that calming presence and that leader for them. So I think I think that's where he'll he'll come through more so than on the ice. Although I'm sure he'll be fine on the ice. But as far as how the Bruins can take advantage of him on the ice, um, don't get too fancy, right? He he his stick is about 200 feet long. Um, goes from red line to red line. So the best thing to do is to chip by him and skate around him. And you saw DeBrus do that last night. And, uh, you know, Char is great, love the guy, um, but he can't do what he can't do. And what he can't do is keep up with these young skaters. And so if you're David Pashnak, um, you know, enough with the toe drags, enough with the dipsy doos, and just, you know, get the puck by him, uh, skate around him, get it deep. If you have to take a hit in the corner, you have to take a hit in the corner. But I think that's their best bet. Uh, make him move. Make him make him make decisions before he wants to on the forecheck. Yeah, exactly. It's it's speed. It's forechecking. Because you know one other like yeah, Chargan struggled with speed. One other area that hasn't been a strength of his for a little while is the, those quick passes on the breakout. Like 
you know, he'll, he'll he's good with like the the short reverse or chip up the boards if that's what all he has to do. But if you're on him and he doesn't have a lot of time and space, a lot of times that that's all he you know he's not going to be able to really make uh, the outlet pass that gets transition started. Sometimes it's more just throw up the boards and then there's a board battle. And the Bruins, if they're bringing the second effort, can win some of those board battles and win some of those pucks back. So you're right. It's, so whoever's on the right going up against him, and Char is still getting a lot of the Capitals' toughest defensive assignments. So it is probably going to be a lot of the top line, a lot of the second line. So you're looking at Pasternak, Craig Smith as guys that, uh, you know, you want to see them use their speed. You want to see them be right on top of Char on the forecheck. And, you know, like you said, don't, don't let Chara use his, you know, don't make it a size. Don't try to get around him. Don't try to, you know, go through his legs, whatever. You know, just speed to take it out wide. If you have to dump it in, beat him in a foot race. Um, so, yeah, I, I think you're right. It's probably the intangibles are, are the bigger thing. His role has settled into more of what we thought it was going to like early in the season. He was playing like top pairing minutes. And part of that was Dmitry Olaf was out at one point. Now he's kind of settled into more of a third line role. Gets third line minutes, tougher defensive gets assignments. A lot of penalty kill minutes. Yeah, he leads the team in penalty yes. kill minutes. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, uh, look, I don't. Maybe we'll be wrong about this. I don't think the Bruins are gonna come out of this regretting that they let Chara go. Like I think they, they've they've shored up their defense pretty well here. Uh, he, he hasn't. I just don't think we're gonna come out of this series being like. Wow, Zdeno Chara was the difference. That's why the Capitals won. Like, I think it's going to be other things that will have had to go wrong for the Bruins if they if they end up losing the series. Yeah, I think you know, like Zaboral, you know, didn't really excel this year. But I think you look at the Bruins' top six to start the playoffs this year, and I, you know, I don't really think that you'd rather you want to take any of them out for Chara. I mean, maybe Lozon could be a wash if you swap the two, but. Everybody else in the Bruins lineup on the, on the defense unit, they, they, they're playing a role, and they're fitting the mold of what the Bruins are trying to play like this year. Did either of you two have a, a final thought before we, we close it up? Nope, I'm going to save mine for the for the preview that we're oh. going to post. All right, so just so lastly, so I have the Bruins in six. Scott, you were Bruins in five? Bruins in five. Bridget? I'm going to go Bruins in six just like you, Brian. Bruins in three, <laughs> you got it. Um, all right, so that'll be it for this episode. We're going to – I think we're going to try to move to – um, you know, two podcasts throughout the duration of the playoffs just so that we don't get too far behind in a series. Um, follow the Skate Podcast on Twitter. Follow Scott. Follow Bridget. Uh, Scott has some wise cracks he likes to pull during games, some funny tweets. Bridget has some, uh, you know, she does a lot of the player and coach analysis and quotes after the games and a lot of insight there. So uh, You can email us now, skatepod at wei.com. Yes, so do that as well. And then myself and Eamon Convey, who's one of the... Um, Produces at EEI and does the uh, a lot of video editing and stuff. Maybe doing some live uh, live viewing of the games too, so you get to see uh, you get to see our reactions. And um, although I'll probably be have my head buried in the laptop doing my three takeaways, Senishin sucks, Senishin sucks, um, and Senishin sucks. So it's like game six. It's like <laughs> Brian Senishin hasn't played in the series. <laughs> Game set of the cup finals. Key takeaway, Oscar Cena has potential. (laughs) All right, that's it. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll talk to you mid-series probably.